for you right now. And it may look different. It may come packaged different. But but God has called you out to be a missionary right where he has you. And so that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, he called his disciples to himself. Jesus did before he ascended to heaven. And he says that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when he does, you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses, witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, the city that they're in. That's their home base. And then to Judea, Samaria, that's the outward regions. And then to the remotest parts of the earth, you're going to be my witnesses. And then the beat just goes on, doesn't it? Because they're baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. After that, they are filled and given these amazing gifts to speak in different languages. God uses Peter to speak the gospel. Thousands start coming to Jesus Christ. They're baptized like Grace and Eddie were this morning. And there's this new community that rises up called the church. They're devoted to the scriptures, to prayer, to uh, the Lord's uh, table, to communion, sharing meals together. They're sharing life together. They're fellowshipping together. They're loving each other. They're an expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. And thousands keep coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They even have issues. Like one day the widows didn't have enough food. And so they call out seven men. Stephen and Philip are two of them. And they start serving these widows. But these guys just aren't mere table waiters. These guys are studs for the kingdom. They proclaim God's word. And Stephen gets before the Sanhedrin. Remember a few weeks ago what happens to him. They don't like it. And they stone him to death. And so persecution starts to rise in Jerusalem. And what does God do? He uses that to scatter his people, including Philip. And he scatters them to where? From Jerusalem to even Judea and Samaria, he starts spreading them out. And we saw last week, Philip, this one who God is going to use to bring thousands, thousands to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But then today, he takes a man who impacts thousands, and now he wants them to go and impact one. One. Isn't that amazing? God, yes, loves the thousands coming to know him, but He's so concerned about one, one. He's so concerned about you. He's so concerned about me. He knows how many hairs are on our head this morning. He knows us intimately. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And today we're going to see how he comes and he draws one to himself. But who does he use? He uses Philip. He takes him from reaching thousands to reaching one. And so look at verse 25 this morning in chapter 8. Look what happens. Peter and John, they were there in Samaria, but now... Um, it tells us here, they've spoken the word of the Lord. They started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so, so Philip and John kind of exit side door here. And then look what happens in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying this, go up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up, he went. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up, join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. 
What do we see here? We see the activity of God, don't we? An angel of the Lord, verse 26, comes to Philip and he speaks to him. And where, how do we find Philip? We find Philip completely available, surrendered to God's will, faithful and obedient, listen, listening responsively. He's one who's walking by the Spirit. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and leads him to travel down southwest to Jerusalem before, not southwest the airline, but southwest of Jerusalem before the desert wasteland where there literally was nothing, right? To, to one, this could sound crazy. But it sounds like God. <laughs> it sounds like God at work. Who does it sound like? Remember Noah? God goes to Noah, and what does he tell Noah? Bill Nark. That seems crazy. He goes to Abram, Genesis 12, calls Abram out and go. That's what God does. This is God's activity. He, he goes to people, and here he uses the angel. Now, that doesn't always happen, does it? A lot of us would love that. God, I'd love for you to be that forthright with me. Just send an angel down here. Just tell me where to go. Tell me, where, tell me who to marry, right? I mean, tell me what job you want me to have, right? I mean, we'd all love that. We'd all love that. But he doesn't always do that. And so what does he want? Now, there's that extraordinary guidance he gives. We see that here. He does that. There's that extraordinary grace. We see it in action here that he does. But what does he want from us? It isn't always going to be an angel, but what he uses is he uses his word to bring us into his mission, right? In Matthew 28, verse 19, what does he say to his disciples before he leaves this earth? He says, therefore, go where? Into all nations, making disciples, making followers and learners of Jesus Christ that they may know him and begin to make him known as well. Baptize them and teach them all that I've commanded you. That's what Jesus has called his church out to, to join the mission of God. And yeah, he might use an angel like he does here with Philip, but he uses his word and he calls his disciples. Just as Philip is obedient to the angel of the Lord, he causes his disciples to be obedient as well. That's what he calls us to be and faithful to his great commission. Now look at verse 29 because the activity of God continues. The angel of the Lord comes and then look what happens here. The spirit of God speaks to Philip. Go up and join his chariot. Now this is very interesting because God has gotten Philip to this desert road where nothing is. And then God's perfect timing, what only God can do, he brings a chariot. This slow-moving, ox-led wagon with this Ethiopian gentleman on it. And he brings Philip right to that place, right at the right time. And that's what God does. And he brings him there, and the Spirit of God speaks to him. It's that check in the Spirit, right? You remember Elijah's experience when he's on the mountain, when he's on the, the cleft of the mountain? God's not in the earthquake. He's, he's not in that, but he's in that still, small voice. You ever had that check in the Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit, where he'll just speak to you? And here he, he speaks to Philip. He says, go up to this chariot. You know what I love about this? The work of God is not left up to our planning. The, the, the work of God is not left up to our plans. Now, does that negate planning? No. 
Does that, does that mean we don't plan for evangelism? We don't plan for mission trips? We don't plan for evangelical endeavors? No. It doesn't mean we don't do that. It doesn't negate that. But what it means is that God is working and he wants his people to come and join him in that. But we've got to be listening responsively just like Philip's doing. I mean, Philip is just like, Lord, take me up in the spirit and I'm just going to walk with you. Just, just lead me. Just take me. And he does by an angel of the Lord. He leads him to this place and then he gets there and the spirit of God's just directing every little step. And too often what happens is we plan and plan and plan and plan and think, oh, we got to have all these plans. And so what happens a lot of times is we plan something to death and we forgot, oh, wait, God's got to do this. This isn't up to me. And what a beautiful picture of that here. Because God orchestrates this circumstance. Him alone. It's his timing. And that's what God wants to us. You see, Philip here, he's completely surrendered to the Lord. And he listens responsively here to the Holy Spirit. And I think God, through his Spirit, is doing this even more often. But I think one of the ways we grieve the Holy Spirit is we are just going so fast through life sometimes. We've got our little tasks. We've got our little calendars. But what happens, and those aren't bad things, but what happens is we forget everything on that task and calendar for today is part of the mission of God. Because along those paths and ways, those meetings, wherever God takes us during the day, there are people there who are in need of the gospel. But what happens is we haven't taken our tasks, we haven't taken our calendars and given them ultimate God-centered, Christ-exalting purposes. And so what happens a lot of times is we roll through the day, we roll through the day, and, and we, we never stop and we never listen. And I think a lot of times because we've never surrendered and committed the day to the Lord to say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want, I, I just want to have open ears, open mind, open heart, open eyes, and I want to be fully aware that I am in and part of the mission of God today. I'm not, I'm not just dressing up in my monkey suit and showing up at the office and, and, and just getting to work for this company. No, my work is for the Lord today, and that endeavor today is about his mission ultimately. And so how I do my work and how I interact with people is a big deal because the gospel needs to be heard. And so if it's heard through my life, praise be to God, that's what I want it to be about. That's what I want it to be about. And it may be a mom who wakes up in the morning and you're like, man, I just washed five loads of laundry yesterday. I've done a breakfast. I've done lunch. I've done a dinner. I've gotten kids dressed. I've done homework. I did all that yesterday. Oh, I get to do that again. And it just wears you out. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. But, but, but stop for a second. I know this is hard. I know this is hard because I think that's the biggest and greatest job anyone could have is, is doing everything I just mentioned but to say, hey, listen, I, I'm getting up and I'm doing these things today that seems like they show no fruit at times because they keep showing up, the clothes keep showing up. But I want you to know there's purpose along the way to your day as you're making a home and as you're ministering to your kiddos. There is purpose as you're supporting your husband. There is purpose. You're on a mission for God. You're on a mission for God. And sometimes we just gotta stop and remember that and then we've gotta say, okay, God, I want to listen responsibly. So here's the question. How does God speak to us? How does God reveal himself to us? Because in this text, we see that. He reveals himself to Philip in some extraordinary guidance ways. Uh, he reveals himself to the Ethiopian eunuch, which we're going to see in just a bit. 
And so how does God speak? How does he reveal himself to us? And so real simply, let's just think about that. First, through his word, through the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, remember what Paul told Timothy. He said this, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So what does that tell you and I? The word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. God told Peter this, and Peter wrote to us and said, that God has given us everything for life and for godliness, everything that we need. He's given us the word of God, and it is sufficient. What is it specifically sufficient for? As an authoritative truth, here's what God's word gives to you and I. It gives us the truth of what it means to be saved. It gives us the answer on how we can be saved and how we can grow spiritually. Secondly, not only that, the Word of God as an authoritative truth gives us everything we need to make good judgments between what is right and wrong. And in our world, in the day we live in, we need that. We need that. Both in the church and and, and out in the world as we're navigating through the week, we need that. Because so often during the day, man, things are set before us What am I going to choose? What judgment am I going to make? Should I do this or or should I do that? And people are looking for answers. And we've got to make choices. Am I going to be obedient to God? Well, what does God want? And so the word of God leads us and directs directs us to how we can be saved, how we can grow in salvation. Not only that, second, how we can make right judgments about what is right and what is wrong. Now, he speaks in other ways too. The scripture tells us Three other ways specifically that God speaks to us. Um, the first way is Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The, the heavens and the earth, the creation, does not have a need for language, but, but through God's creation, he is speaking of who he is, uh, that he is creator, and that he has made everything. And so he is speaking through his creation. Secondly, not only that, but he is speaking through um, conscience as well. The Bible tells us through human conscience. Romans 2.15 is where you'll find that. That God is speaking to the inner, inner conscience of man. And thirdly, God also speaks through prophecy and through wisdom. We see that those are gifts given to the church that he uses those to, to speak according to truth, and to speak the wisdom of God to others. But here's the thing. Those three things are not sufficient in themselves to save us nor nurture us or guide us alone. And so what does that mean? The Bible alone, the Scriptures alone is sufficient. As it gives the only authoritative rule for completing and assessing the means to which God speaks and reveals. And so as we look here at this text... God speaks to Philip. Yes, he he uses an angel. He uses his spirit. And then he's going to speak even to the Ethiopian. And what is he going to use? He's going to use the word of God because the word of God is sufficient. And so what's the point? You and I must be lovers of the word. The psalmist says, I love your law, God. I love your law. We must saturate our lives with the word of God so that one, we, we know it. We know what it means to be saved and, and that we would grow, but also to help us make right and wrong choices, but also, as we're going to see with Philip here, that we're ready in and out of season 
Whoever God brings across our paths that we are ready to share the hope that we have and point to Jesus. Because that's what Philip does as he speaks to the Ethiopian. Now think about the Ethiopian. Who is this guy? As we look at the text real quick, who is he? We know that he has a prominent role. He has an important role. Specifically, he's the minister of finance in the Ethiopian regime. He was responsible for distributing the funds of the treasury based on the desires of the queen there in Ethiopia. He had come to Jerusalem, though, for what reason? To worship in the temple there. What happened in that day, many Gentiles had grown weary of all the religions of uh, many different gods and this loose morality that was prevalent. And so there was those who would search in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Judaism for truth. And as it seems here, the Ethiopian official was doing that very thing. And so he was on his way back from worshiping in the temple, the God of the Jews, but he's doing what? He's reading out loud. We might think, well, that's a, that's a little odd. We usually, if we're in a coffee shop or something, we're not, somebody's reading a book, they're not going to be reading out loud. But that was not rare back then. It was a custom of that day that many would read out loud. So think about this. God calls this Ethiopian, he leads this Ethiopian to Jerusalem to worship. And then he leads him back. He brings Philip there. So what's interesting here is sometimes God brings the nations to us, doesn't he? Sometimes it's not just us getting on an airplane and going to the nations, but sometimes he brings the nations to us and think about the area we're in. Think about Carrollton. Think about Plano and, and Louisville and the colony and all the surrounding areas where, where you might live in. And think about just the metroplex area and how God has brought the nations to us. God could bring the nations to you as a businessman, as somebody who's overseas you're doing business with that flies here and then will eventually go back to their homeland. I mean, think about that. That's what God is doing here. He has brought this man to worship. And then yet he brings Philip to find him there on the road. And so what does the Ethiopian ask Philip in the text again? He says, how could I understand this text unless someone guides me? As he's reading this text out loud, and what does he do? He invites Philip to come up and sit with him. This could not be more beautifully orchestrated, could it? And that's what God does. But I love here when he says, come sit with me. You see, this man is, is open for somebody sitting with him to share the truth of the gospel. And I, I, think, I think many in our day is. I think many in our day are as well. Maybe not everybody. But recent stats tell us this, especially with this generation, uh, the millennials from 20 to 38, four out of five are open, 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 open to somebody coming and just sitting down, just like Philip, and say, come share the truth with me. Come share the truth with me. And so the question is, are we available, are we surrendered like Philip to be available and go and do that? Because as Paul says to the church in Rome, how then will they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed. How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. This official here, he is searching, but he has no understanding of what the scripture says, and so he needs someone, and God gives him 
Philip. And look what happens here. Look at verse 32 back in the text. It says, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. It was Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 through 8. Listen to what he was specifically reading out loud as Philip joins him. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. What is he reading about? He's reading about Jesus, no doubt. That's what the prophet Isaiah was talking about, Isaiah 53. But specifically in this text that is pulled out here as a sheep to a slaughter, a lamb before its shearer, talking about Jesus going to die, that Jesus is truly the lamb of God, who will be slain for the sins of the world. But he's not like a sheep that is naive. He is completely aware and willingly gives his life as a sacrifice to be a substitute for you and I. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. But his generation did not see that. They instead thought he was cursed of God instead of a substitute sacrifice for man. And so... The Ethiopian is reading this, and look at verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So what does he do? He, he goes and he points to Jesus and says, Yes, this is talking about Jesus. And no doubt in Isaiah 53, we hear things like that he was crushed for our iniquities, that the sin of man was put upon the Messiah. See, it's very interesting. Rabbis back then would not entertain answering anything about Isaiah 53 because they had no room for a suffering Messiah. But here Philip answers and says, yes, this is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about Jesus. And he's the one who makes us right through his death and through his resurrection. And so he points to Christ. If you're here today, I want you to know that Isaiah 53 tells us something, that we are all like sheep that have gone astray, all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to God's standards. And so God didn't give us a bunch of lists to say, hey, I want you to go do this, this, and this, and this, and this, so you can come up here and be with me one day. You can make it up here to me. Man, he, he did not do that because he knew we could not live up to his standards. And so you know what he did? He sent his son. And he allowed him to be crushed. He allowed him to suffer on the cross, to be a lamb, a sheep, fully aware, fully open, and willing to the will of God to be nailed to a cross, to suffer and die, to bear the, the weight of the sin of world upon him, to bear the wrath of God upon him on the cross. That's what God did. And he didn't say, hey, you got to get all cleaned up before this happens and before you know Jesus. No, he said, come like the mess you are. Come, and Jesus is going to take your mess upon himself. And he's going to take it and he's going to die for you. He's going to pay the price that our sin deserves. He's going to pay it. And by grace, you can have a relationship with me through his death. And your sins can be forgiven forever. That's what Isaiah 53 says. And that message is for all in here today. It's for all. And so the question is, how do we respond? Well, look at verse 
36, because look at how the Ethiopian responds. It says, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Interesting question, because back then, it was known that Christians were baptized. You have the baptism of John for repentance, John the Baptist. Then now you have Jesus who comes and, and now is baptizing. And, and now this baptism is those who have believed and trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it was known as thousands were being baptized. And so he sees water and he says, why should I not be baptized? And listen to what Philip says in verse 37. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe, the Ethiopian said, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's the response that Jesus wants to leap from our heart and from our mouth, that we would confess and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for us and that he rose again so that we could be set free from sin, the penalty of sin, which is death, and have life eternal. He wants us to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Do you believe that today? Is that where your belief is? Have you confessed that? You believe that. And then in verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. So wow, what an amazing day Philip had. He went from sharing with thousands and seeing thousands, but then this one that he brings to, he shares the message of the gospel. He shares Jesus with this man. He believes and then he's baptized. Something I've said before, but I, I see it today. I see baptism seems to, to kind of just be, oh, okay, maybe I'll be baptized. We, we don't magnify baptism with the significance that scripture places on it and the significance that the first century church placed on it. Does baptism save us? No. No. Belief in Christ alone is what saves us. But baptism is the mark of the new covenant, is the mark of the community called the church. It's the act of obedience where we stand like Eddie and Grace today to say, listen, yes, I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want everybody to know it's a public confession. And you're making it known before the community here and you're saying, I love Jesus. He's my Savior. He's died for me. I believe that. And now I'm His. And now we're part of the community, the church, to now do life with them. And, and, and as a believer who's been baptized now, man, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. I'm part of this community. And so it's significant. Just as circumcision was significant to the Israelites back then as a mark of the covenant that he made with Abraham, so it is now that the baptism of a believer in Christ is the mark that, hey, they're part of the new covenant community called the church. It's significant. And so he responds with belief. He responds with baptism. And then he responds with rejoicing. He is excited. And that's what God does. He brings joy to our hearts through Jesus. And that's what knowing Jesus brings to our life is joy. And he sends this man away. And history tells us this, that the Ethiopian eunuch goes back and he's a missionary. He's a proclaimer of the gospel. The history books tell us that that's what he did. And that's what God wants to do as he 
brings the nations to us as he calls us even to the nations that he wants us to love people with the gospel, our neighbors and the nations. And that's what Philip keeps doing. I love verse 40. You know why I love verse 40 and love to end on that? It's because it's like, all right, dude, he's baptized. He's excited. He's off. He's good. But, but here Philip gets snatched away again, again, the activity of God. And what does Philip get right back to in verse 40? There's more souls. There's more people that need to hear. And he goes right back to preaching the gospel. And so that's what God's been up to for centuries. And that's what he's still doing today. And that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. It's because he has a mission. And his mission is to spread his name and to point to Jesus and to say, Jesus is my son. You can know him. And you can know me through him. And so we need to come and lift up Jesus, guys, with our lives. And let people know that he came and he died for them. And so are we surrendered to that? Is that what our lives are about? That's what God wants. He's got a mission for us. It's his mission. And he wants us to be on it. Let me pray with you.